Property Podcast. Today we are joined by Dan Taylor. Dan Taylor is a self self-professed urban alchemist, which I love that title. He helps to regenerate local areas by developing stress, de-stressed assets and empty shops that nobody else wants. So today we're going to be talking about how, uh, if you are interested in learning more about this, how to reduce your risk, how it all works, um, how you can help your high street. And uh, we'll be looking at some case studies as well from Dan. So welcome to the podcast, Dan. Hey, thanks very much. And uh, thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure and a privilege. I've been on once before and uh, look forward to many more in the future. Great. Well, um, it's great to have you here. So just tell us a bit about your background and for people who don't know of you, uh, how did you get to this point? Um, Well, I love investing in commercial property and uh, I also buy businesses. And um, I've come to a point where we're fusing the two strategies together of buying businesses and commercial property, creative commercial strategies and the art of buying businesses and kind of molding that together or fusing them into create, um, you know, so that we can use hopefully leverage of strategy as opposed to leverage of debt, or at least, you know, have some leverage, but it's very safe leverage. Now how I got into this is uh, we did our first deal like early nineties or something. Um, but really the one that kind of hit home was in 1995. And uh, 1st of August, 95, we were driving past uh, in Edinburgh in the high street and um, a little place called Toll Cross in Edinburgh. And we noticed the property that was kind of boarded up and then the power had been pulled out outside. So, uh, you know, we find out who, who the banker was and we went to see the banker and made an offer and bought that one for £117,000. Very much distressed, therefore motivation, and we got it very cheap. After two and a half years later, so that was 1st of August, 95, 8th of May, 98, we sold that for three quarters of a million. And that was really how we got started in a commercial property. Now, that was a business as well as commercial property. Um, and that's £600,000 gain, which is very nice. Thank you very much. But if I'd known what I know now, I'd have made over a million pound gain. And that in itself is an incredibly simple strategy um, that could have been employed there if I'd have known about it at the time, um, which is quite interesting. Now, from there, we kind of got a taste of that, quite liked it, obviously. And so I started buying up, um, buying businesses with inherently the commercial property as the uh, you know, underlying commercial asset, yeah? When you say buying businesses, do you mean the freehold or just the, uh, you know, was it one unit? Buying cash flow, where the, uh, the business all, also owned the freehold property. Right. Yeah? So businesses in the high street were predominantly in the gaming center, high street gaming sector. Um, and we bought quite a few of them. We had about 30 by 2005 and 252 staff, which brings its own <laughs> wonderful challenges. And, um, but we're doing okay, doing really good actually. We're in the Sunday Times fast growth list and all this nonsense. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, what was it? It was an eight figure turnover business. It was uh, you know, 2.7 million EBITDA. And, uh, and our whole plan was to grow that and then uh, basically do a simple commercial strategy where we're separating the property from the businesses called the sale and lease back. And by doing that, we actually did that in that property. So we already owned them. We did a simple strategy that added another 8.4 million of value. Okay, to- I just want to pick up on that. So sale and rent back. So obviously you can't do that in residential, but that's that's your strategy. With- yeah, well, there's a whole bunch of things you can't do in resi that you can do in commercial. Um, right. You know, because there's 3 million resi investors, 100,000 commercial investors. And the greedy politicians are out to bash the landlords because it's low-hanging fruit, you know, because most of them are uneducated. And there's a small portion that read YPN and, and, you know, get educated that are educated and are implementing strategies. But predominantly, it's a massive audience of low-hanging fruit where they can uh, appeal to the renters, therefore uh, bend like the reed in the wind to the votes of the renters. And unfortunately, that's the kind of regulatory environment we're in just now. Uh, and it isn't going to change anytime soon, is it? It's going to get worse as history repeats itself. Um, but anyway, going back to you know uh, that simple strategy that increased that uh, portfolio, so existing portfolio already owned it, and by implementing one strategy, we increased the value by eight point four million in one day um, at a cost of sixty thousand uh, pounds, which were two independent valuations. Yeah. Now that is the basis upon which we help or teach, mentor, 
uh, people are trying to come from a residential buy to let HMO or development background into cross the bridge into land and commercial property. Mm. Uh, and really, we use that simple strategy and teach them how to get into commercial in a very simple way by, you know, you don't have to take the risks of development, of commercial conversions, of HMOs, the, the licensing and le- regulation of HMOs, or the, the buy to let, you know, low yields. You can actually use, learn commercial where the, le- the yields are much, much higher. But more importantly, if you already understand property as an asset class, then you can use a hybrid strategy where you're using, you know, buying things that you, you would normally look at, you, you know, you would normally look at because they look too scary. As soon as you understand it, you can have a hybrid of residential and commercial on the downstairs. And what that, is it that you said, you said, you know, it's scary. What is it about commercial do you think that puts people off? Um, it's really what I said before, 3 million resi investors, 100,000 commercial. It's the unknown territory and anything that's unknown to us inherently um, anything you don't understand, don't know, or not comfortable with is scary. So you've got your little circle of um, comfort, of competence. As soon as you step out that circle, uh, there's a new set of rules. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you have to learn the fundamentals. Uh, and it's it, when you get into it, you realize um, it's, it's not as hard as you might think. Uh, in fact, it's, it's really simple. It's not easy because nothing's easy. Uh, and you, there's no free lunches. You have, there's work to do. Um, but the key thing is, I think, you know, at the end of the day, if we all understand, um, you know, what the three currencies, life, income, freedom and impact, then to do that, to create that income and freedom, we have to create assets and we have to create assets that produce income. And the more passive and less hassle those assets are, the better. Yeah. Okay. So with that in mind, you have an obligation uh, you know, to yourself, to your family, to create a legacy going forward. That if you're going to create assets that produce income, why don't we look at creating assets that have the least amount of hassle? So if you're already in resi and HMOs, commercial conversions, and developments, then you know, putting another um, another tool in your strategy bag just mm-hmm. makes, opens up um, opportunities to what you can invest in going forward and creating that um, hybrid strategy where you're using residential, commercial. To really accelerate values because in commercial you really want to keep it simple and I you know when you're starting out we always help people oh you know it's like the ABCs of commercial always buy cash flow yeah instead of a development it might take you two years and it's risky you don't know how much your finance cost is going to be because it's variable and you don't know how much your GDP is going to be because you don't know when you're selling out in the, in the circle where the market's going to be the macroeconomic circle or market sorry um, so you don't know your GDV is moving, your finance is moving, therefore your, your margin's moving. And you're very much uh, the last man in the chain to get food. You know, you're a year and a half to two years down the road. Or how about the day you buy, you get a rent check? Yeah? Yeah. That's what we help. We also help uh, people getting to, you know, creating uh, what I call urban alchemy. You know, about uh, impacting the high street, uh, bringing high streets back to life. And we've done that quite successfully, but that's really probably more of an advanced strategy. When you start out, you just want to, you know, yes, everybody's got this yearning of income, freedom, and impact, but impact's the last one. So what you've got to do is create impact on your own personal environment first, which is cash flow. Mm -hmm. After you've got to that level of cash flow where all your exes are being taken care of, then let's create impact somewhere else. But always create impact on your own personal family's economy first. Yeah. It's like uh, your version of Maslow's hierarchy. You know, you exactly. need the food, you need to make sure that all the bills are paid, and then yeah. once you've got everything sorted, you can help them. Exactly. Like that. I mean, one of, our, um, one of the guys we work with, one of our clients, uh, they had no experience in property, never mind right. commercial. They didn't have a resi, didn't have HMOs, they, didn't have, uh, didn't, they haven't done any commercial conversions, and they're straight into uh, commercial property. And their first deal... Uh, which is incredible, has is, is got 13 streams of income. Right. But importantly, those 13 streams of income were available the day they purchased. Right. So they weren't waiting you know, with development finance a year and a half down the road. They were buying income day one. Which so how would you say that people should start? Because you know, you're saying uh, the high street, helping to regenerate that is more of an advanced strategy. Um, a lot of people 
are told by people in the community, you know, the, the property gurus that they should start, cut your teeth on a vanilla buy to let, build up slowly, maybe get a HMO or, you know, maybe do a sort of light refurb, a bit bigger refurb, title split, and then go on to commercial. Commercial seen as uh, this thing that you don't touch until you really know what you're doing. What would you say to that? I would say uh, you really want to have a certain understanding of all the strategies. Yeah. And then pick what's comfortable for you because there's no point going down the road. It's like when I, you know, we built our business and we eventually had 252 staff and all this, all the moving parts, area managers and all the rest of it. So it's almost like you're putting the ladder against the wall and you're climbing that ladder of success. You get to the top and sometimes you don't like where you've got to. So as if you have an understanding of various different strategies, then pick where you want to go based on what that looks like at the end. Um, as opposed to just going down a road where, you know, this clients that I just told you about, if they'd have started in buy to let, your typical buy to let net cash flow is about 200 quid a month. Mm -hmm. We've got one client in the group that has 68 residential properties and he's at 70% margin. Now that's before section 24 kicks in, mm -hmm. but his portfolio can incorporate in whatever. But at the end of the day, um, he has great cash flow, then he gets refurbed <laughs> and repairs. And the cash flow is completely wiped out the next month, despite having 68 buy to lets. Whereas the new, the new guys into the commercial new clients that came in, um, now this didn't happen overnight. It took them seven months or something to find the right one. And we had to walk away from the deal because I always like to acquire value, you know, boost value or add value, buy value and compound value with cash flow day one. So if you've got to buy value, you've got to negotiate well with a motivated vendor. Yeah. So, we did that, so we had to walk away, go back in, and we got the thing at the right price. So instead of offers over 340 on that deal, we got it for 240. Okay, could you just go back a little bit? So acquire, what was that? Uh, you said well, them quite quickly. Yeah, acquire value, boost value, and compound value. It's like, I, I always like to bring things back to simplicity, which is right. the ABCs right. of always buy a cash flow if you're starting out, because oh, that's okay. what you're after. So they, uh, in this instance, no experience. So it's, it's, for me, it was fantastic. It was like a blank sheet of paper. Um, you know, and, and they brought me a deal and I said, this is a fantastic deal. Um, and they said, well, this other guy said it's not a good deal. I said, well, just look at it yourself. You know, it's, it's netting 28,000 pounds a year, you know, cash coming in, net cash coming in. It's got an HMO upstairs, got four parades of shops downstairs. On the first deal, 28K net, yeah? So, um, that was after bank finance, capital interest, but we'll come back to that. So it's 28K, so what could we pay for that? 340 seems, for me, a lot of money. But I said at the right price, that's a great deal. You've got diversified income streams, hybrid strategies, so you've got a diversified portfolio of income coming in that means there's a hedge going forward against various things happening, yeah? Okay, could you elaborate on uh, how, what are the different, you know, diversifications? Well, uh, you've got nine uh, HMOs upstairs, all different kind of uh, people upstairs in a very niche market as well. This is a, an incredibly niche HMO, which is fantastic. You don't have to source any clients because they're all, um, they're all secured by a government agency because right. it's a niche market. Downstairs, you have uh, four different kind of businesses. So you've got a barber's, um, a cafe, a hairdresser's, I think it is. I know it's a taxi. Uh, hairdresser's, taxi, um, cafe and, and the last one is a bit saucy it's actually, <laughs> it's actually a, an adult shop um, so all Amazon proof then <laughs> exactly and I always talk about you know when you're looking at a commercial um, always look at things that are not going to be attacked by the big cat now the cat is a correction the Amazon and technology and the cat you know correction you know what what happens in a correction discretionary spend dries up immediately. It's the first to go. So your fancy golf courses, your fancy uh, you know, um, retail stuff that's expensive, anything that is not required immediately goes. Yeah. So in terms of how does that equate for food? Well, your waitrose would probably see a reduction in sales where a little on Aldi will continue on the up. Yeah, a co-op would continue on the up. Farm foods, Iceland would continue on the way up because they're serving you know, the middle class becomes the normal class and more people start, you know, being thrifty and tightening their pocket. Yeah. So that's the kind of correction. And you've got to think about that. 
who is going to be here in 10 years, 15 years and still be thriving? And then you've got the Amazon of things that's taking just about everything out of the game. <laughs> but are they ever going to cut hair? Probably not. Um, are, you know, are they ever going to create social, ex uh, social experiences like coffee shops? Probably not. Uh, business service spaces, you know, probably not where people like to congregate and actually commute in the, the new kind of um, we work type environments type mm -hmm. thing. Um, and technology is going to obviously accentuate that um, and exacerbate that for good and bad as well. So we've got to look at all these kind of things and pick your tenants wisely. So pick what cash flow streams you're buying in wisely. Yeah. When you're saying pick it, you're picking it before you acquire the property so you're you're buying the property with the tenant in place or are you talking about an, an empty property that you then pick a tenant well we've, we've done both obviously but what i suggest to new people starting out is um would you not like to have it fully late day one yes <laughs> and, and still with an ability to add value mm, okay so how do you add value if it's already tenanted yeah, great question. Well, let, let's look at another client, and uh, he bought one at auction. And this uh, this property um, was three hundred thousand pounds, nine point one percent yield. We bought at, um, which is kind of 28 k or whatever it was, uh, rental day one. So day one, you know, two two thousand plus coming in. Um, he bought it with JV investors for cash, and then refinanced out. But before we bought, we always like to buy value and have the ability to add value. So how do we do that? We were the only ones in the auction room that actually been to see the tenant. And we've been to see the tenant three times. Yeah. So the first speaking to the tenant, what do they want to do? We're leaving the landlords X, Y, and Z. <laughs> um, because the landlord put his head in the sand and he says, we're not going to involved in anything, pay the rent or we're throwing you out, which obviously you can't do that because um, it was covered under the, the 54 Act, which I don't want to go into that because it's technical, but anyway, we were the only ones that I, you know, that do what I call boots on ground. Everybody wants to do desktop due diligence, which is great to do, but at some point you have to get boots on the ground because that's where the gold is. The gold is, you know, it's like an onion. A deal is like an onion or a deal is like sculpting. A, a deal is never given to you in a perfect form and you have to sculpt the deal. Um, and the best way to do that is to get boots on the ground, speak to the, the powers that be, which is that there's only two, there's a vendor, um, you know, and the tenant. And so we spoke to the tenant, first discussion, we're leaving, hate the chap, he's never done this, this, and this. Um, and then on second meeting, um, it went a bit further. By the third meeting, before we got to the auction, if we do this, this, and this, we know we can secure a 10-year lease. There was only an 18-month lease left on the place. Mm -hmm. So before we go in, we know we can get to 10 years. Now, we know that if we can extend the lease from a year and a half, eradicate that lease, put a brand-new 10-year lease in place at 30K, yeah. we've just made £90,000 right. by coffees and chats instead of construction and contracts. And that is the basis of what I call my kind of strategic simplicity. Do, do all the fancy urban alchemy down the road, but let's create personal alchemy, day one. Yeah. Okay. And so you, uh, did you sign that lease immediately once you bought it then? Renew the lease? Uh, within 10 weeks. Right, okay. Yeah. Because some people talk about a commercial, and you, you know, there's, uh, there's no capital uplift. The capital oh. appreciation is limited. But is that, is that different to what you're talking about? Well, you're talking to the wrong people. Then. <laughs> <laughs> remember, remember, remember well, it, what I yeah. said before. Remember we had that portfolio that was valued at 21 million, 21.4. Right. And in one day, at the cost of two valuations being 60,000 pounds, we increased the value by 8.4 million to 29.8. You're increasing it, so you, you're the one that's controlling that uplift rather than the market you know yep. going up so it's you know in residential where the market uplifts you you get yep. that natural so that 8.4 mil right from 21.4 to 29.8 was a massive uplift we already own the stuff we already yeah. own properties yeah? yeah and there was only 16 properties at the time that's that, that intrinsically is the kind of simple strategy that we that we then simplify to how do we do that on a smaller basis and uh, for example a chap that's in legals right now to buy something out of administration um as a parade of four shops yeah mm -hmm. we've got an accountants we've got i think we've got accountants and barbers hairdressers and a, a bespoke unique cake shop 
Now, the rental is 26,000, I think, if I remember rightly. And the, we're, we've managed to buy this for 250,000. So how do we add value to that? You know, we're getting a 10 plus percent yield, which is awesome, which is cool. And I will come on to, you know, why the margins are much bigger in commercial and residential, why you can add much, much more value. But here's a real life uh, deal of why we can add value to this one. It's 250. We've already agreed in administration to rejig the rear part where we can create another two units there on an existing building. Yeah. And um, that takes the 26K up to 36K. There's then a little bit of tarmacking to be done at the back and light, uh, very light steel construction to be done, which is almost like um, prefabricated, dropped in kind of units. And they're going to be for trades, you know, like an electrician, a joiners, a plumbers, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm or parking the van, parking the tools and the, the parks. And they, we can, in there, get about eight units. So we'll go from four income streams, you know, up to 14 income streams on that one. Right. And okay. the, the rental will go from 26 to 36 to in the region of 50 to 60. And that's a really simple one um, because it involves light construction. And, and the other one we told you about where we bought at auction, 300K, um, we, forced that appreciation to 387,000 just by coffees and chats. Yeah, coffees and chats got us 87 and a half thousand pounds appreciation <laughs> within, within 12 weeks as well, I think it was. What coffee are you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> now, it did cost them three costs and that much these days. <laughs> That's probably about 20 quid. But the thing, the thing was is we, uh, we're still, applying, we're have, always have a plan A, B and C on a property. Okay. And plan B up there, um, you know, plan B was basically under PD applying for uh, residential upstairs. So instead of actually going through the hassle and converting that into residential when you don't need to because there's enough money gain already in the, you know, in the pot to, you know, grab most of your money back out. Um, but in the future, that PD residential gain is going to be granted and is baked in. So it's baked in future value should we ever need to use it. But our preferred option is a law of least effort or lease moving parts, which is we just re-gear the lease, add the value, refinance, pull some money out. Happy days. I mean, I can, I can hear that, you know, it's so natural to you because you've done it for so long and um, I've never had any commercial properties myself. So, I, you know, I'm listening to this as somebody who's, who's not been in that world. And I can hear how, you know, it, it just falls off your tongue that you just, you know, well, you're so passionate about it. And to me, it's like a bit like, well, gosh, I, I wouldn't know where to even start because that thing you said about, you know, the last property about being quite simple and straightforward, um, a bit of like industrial here, a bit of this there. And um, that's a really, say, even if on, on that one, even if you don't do the eight extra units, you just go from four to six units, the, the building's already there. Yeah. We're yeah. just adding value by putting two block work walls, yeah, and it goes from 26 to 36k rent on a right. two purchase, and it's an FRI. And an FRI does what it says on the tin full repairing and insuring. So let's move on to the next thing why is resi different to commercial? Principally, um, well, you know, I, I've got this me methodology, it's called ASSETS, A S S E T S, and uh, it's an acronym that I go into different bits and bobs, but. Let's not do that just now. I'll maybe give it to you guys down the road for a lead magnet if anybody wants to see it or extra information. But really, in a nutshell, um, it's a lot less hassle commercial yeah. because you've got professional tenants, professional agents, and they all work for you for free, where in residential, and the, the agents charge you, mm -hmm. right. which is a big, massive thing. Uh, you have tax breaks in commercial, massive tax incentives put there by the government, and you can use your pension in commercial to accelerate you know, your, your own income and wealth and your legacy going forward. You cannot use that in residential, which is incredible, isn't it? Two, two property mm. asset classes, and one is treated um, like the poor cousin. <laughs> Where it, should, it should all be the same, shouldn't it? If you're yeah. investing in property uh, to hopefully fix the housing crisis, you should have the same tax breaks. You should be able to use your pension. What, why can't you? But you can't, and that's just the law, so you have to work within the law. And uh, no point worrying about things you can't change. Just go with the flow and work within the confines of the uh, legal system, the, the framework that we have. 
But also, I mean, the massive one for Resi is this Section 24 that basically negates all, as you know, as we all know, or hopefully we all know, if, if, if this is news, then we should be looking <laughs> very, very quickly. Section 24 is the mortgage interest uh, relief or negating of that, which is uh, going to push a lot of people into the higher rate tax bracket. Um, and there's ways that you can circumvent that. Um, you can cooperate and, and whatnot uh, if you qualify. Um, I'm not a tax specialist. Um, I'm a kind of more strategist, um, but you know we know obviously work with tax specialists. Um, but we, what we really like to do is we like to help active and passive investors get into commercial property uh, and, and preferably hybrid strategies as well, where we've got a combination of commercial and residential because they work. Is that what you would recommend? So somebody starting out, say like myself, okay, I've done a couple of bike lets and HMOs and that kind of thing. Now, okay, ready for commercial. Where do I start and how do I decide what is a good deal for me? You know? Yeah. Well, how do you start in anything is you've got to learn the foundations, the basics, mm-hmm. principles, um, you know, and, and you've really got to start with the end in mind. You know, you know coming back to that personal alchemy, you know, what is your monthly cash flow that you need to create? Uh, not your Ferraris and helicopters, just what do you need to create, you know, without losing the feet on the ground thing. Yeah. Uh, some people get a bit carried away, uh, you, know, you know, and they want a fortune, where what's going to change your life is not a fortune. It's just maybe three, four or five grand a month. Yeah. Uh, so let's get to that. You know, how do we get there with the least amount of hassle? Mm-hmm. You kind of start there and then go back. What assets do we have to deploy into commercial to create that, um, you know, that cash flow. And after we kind of take care of number one, which is your, you know, your monthly DDs, the horrible things that keep going out every month, um, then we can look at more sexy stuff going forward. But after you've done one of those, you know, to get to your number two of those to get to your number, why don't you just do some more? Because they're really safe strategies, like a hedge strategy. Uh, for me, buying cash flow, um, I'm, I'm really working on one just now. It's, it's again buying cash flow. There's a, a basically a, a, an international company on the on the lease. It's a little bit bigger than your maybe your your first project, three and a half million. Um, but you know, three and a half million is including stamp duty, the closing costs, and all that kind of. So it's three point three roughly. Um, and what would you think the rent would be on that? I have no idea. Well, you know, knowing residential, what would it be roughly? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, this one's six hundred thousand. Yeah, wow. Okay. So that that is because we're buying value. It's administration. Yeah, right. uh, it's, a, it's a huge company on the lease, but the actual company that owns the properties, which this is one, are in administration, and it's, it's nearly twenty percent yield. Yeah, that's something that should be six to eight percent yield. Yeah, because and that's why we're we're kind of buying value and adding value is basically coffees and chats with who the national company and we can actually think about this this is a real kind of uh, mindset shift so imagine we could double the value of that property by reducing the rent by a hundred thousand okay <laughs> how does that work and that's our plan so we can actually go to them and over the term of uh, a lease reduce their rent liability by 1.4 million yeah so you extend the lease by reducing it reduce the rent which gives them a massive yes. l hit on you know bonus on their uh, their balance sheet going forward there's a big tick for the chief exec look what i've done i'm awesome where's my bonus and it's simple stuff like that that we prefer to do so imagine on that one could be you know an uplift or added value forced appreciation in the millions and there's no development yeah no commercial conversion there's what happens if they go bust like the company? So, okay, we're not talking Costa here, but let's say it's your local accountants or the local barbers. They've signed a five, 10 year lease and year four, they go bust. What happens then? Well, that's part of the DD process. You know, who is the tenant? What market are they in? And more importantly, who do they serve? Because right. not just the tenant needs to thrive, it's whoever they're serving. The market they're serving needs to be thriving. Yeah, and that we look at that in detail. And hence why we need boots on the ground in that other deal. And we went to see the tenant, you know, and to find out what her plan is. How old she is? Is she in? Um, is she a baby boomer who's perhaps you know tailing off and what doesn't want a long term lease, or is she perhaps 
a millennial or mid midpoint where she's still in growth. She's got another 15 years left. In her. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was the whole process about, you know, doing the DD, who have we got here? Is she going to be staying on? And if so, um, what happens after she leaves? You know, we are, we are very particular in the tenants that we go after. And when we're at, you know, clients are bringing deals to the table, um, we are, you know, it, it's, it's, it's so easy to assess. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's so simple because right. you know if something's going to be cat proof or not, or has a good chance of being cat proof, or it's hedged against being attacked by the big cat. Yeah. Like any retail, I wouldn't touch it. Um, but imagine if it's retail and it's got a few years left on the lease and you've already got a tenant lined up you know, a new tenant that can grow over the next kind of 10, 15 years. Then all, all of a sudden you're buying something that's in fear and you're bringing value to the table by, you know, you have the ability to put someone else there. Like what, one deal we did, um, we brought five brands to this particular town, high street brands, um, and it uplifted the value, you know, very, very significant. Um, incredibly. In fact, one of um, we get involved in developments as well. Not very often, but we do. And when I do a development, I like to do something what I call a public-private partnership, which bear in mind, developments are inherently risky. Yeah, They're risky because you don't know where your finance is going to end. You don't know where your GDV realistically is going to be. You know roughly what it's going to be, but it's all moving. Yeah, um, And open to so many factors and sensitivities. So when I do a, a development, I like to bring in big partners, local or central government, so that we can kind of get out before we get in. Mm-hmm. You know, one we're looking at just now, uh, we're in legals and, um, you know, we're pre-letting the ground floor and pre-selling the apartments upstairs. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so we've got a, it's bookended, you know, we're out before we get in. Yeah. Another one we did was with a local authority and we sold uh, we basically came up with a plan. It was 13,000 square feet. It was to be demolished and beautiful apartments built with commercial on the ground. So we did a public-private partnership with that LHA, Housing Association, so that they took all the risk. Uh, we ring-fenced and transferred the risk to them. They financed it, dealt with the contractors, and they had an obligation to pass back the, the commercial on the ground back to us in a very specific form on a specific date. And if they, if they weren't on time, there's onerous obligations on their part as well. So that's how I like to kind of do developments where maybe you're probably not getting as much profit, but you're not getting the risk. Mm. And, you know, riskless uh, or less moving parts for me is more important. Hassle-free life. and Because uh, we all get into property for one thing, income and freedom. And if we ever get to the third thing, impact, great, happy days. But even if we just create personal alchemy, we create income and freedom, then, you know, you've kind of won the race, you know? Mm. Equating this to like um, a marathon, you know, doing developments and conversions is very much like running the marathon, where what we like to do is just run the last 100 yards and pick up the cash flow that's already there and add value by very simplistic strategies. Yeah. Okay. So um, just picking up on, it sounds to me like the position that you're in, all of your experience you know you've come to this point where you really you know the the tenants that you're picking kind of have to be costa or the equivalent the government people who aren't going away very solid no no i i like a um artisans as well local artisans all local businesses absolutely um i mean uh what one of the remember the recent deal that's going through legals just now he's funded by the sas Mm -hmm. sas cannot get involved in residential um, so he needs a very bespoke um, commercial. It's uh, basically got an accounts firm. It's been there 20 years. It's got a barber's. It's been there 16 years. Um, it's got a hairdresser. It's been, uh, well, she's been here three years, but before that, she's just up the road for 16 years. And it's got a cake uh, maker that's been there for a long time as well. So um, very much local businesses. Uh, but we also look for affluent areas where there's not many vacancies. Right. A ton of vacancies is more like a ghost town or very, you know, demographically lower bandwidths. Uh, but this one was uh, hardly any vacancies in the town. Uh, it was cash flow day one. There was we're buying value via motivation. It was administration, <laughs> which I love fishing in that pond. Um, and you know, and so this chap had no experience of property, no experience of commercial, 
and definitely no experience of buying from administration. So we've managed it on his first deal. He's, he's going to cross the wire and have his SaaS um, day one, you know, kicking in another two grand a month, um, which is great. So I do, I love artisans as long as they're kind of cap proof, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's all it sounds amazing. I'm just trying to think of, okay, for a sort of more balanced argument about the risk involved. So, um, you know, you're, you're sort of saying to me that your risk mitigation is on the front end and in when you choose a tenant. But, you know, life happens. Yeah, absolutely. And so what happens then? Then So um, somebody goes bust, they need to leave. What, what happens with the lease? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, what happens if uh, their service is no longer required by the market? Um, well, more often than not, you would know that before buying the asset. Yeah. Um, like, for example, five years ago, even five years ago, would you buy an HMV? Yeah. <laughs> you knew the, the writing's on the wall. Yeah. 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 And there's a ton of industries like retail. You know, retail's moving from the high street to a combination of the high street, you know, clicks and bricks. Mm. There's going to be larger uh, places where you have an experience uh, and you're then probably buy online and get it delivered <laughs> 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 because you could send it back, you know. And that's where uh, kind of fashion's going. And uh, it's more for the kind of younger crowd where uh, perhaps people in my age like to still go in there and have a look. Although I've only got one shop I, I shop at, to be honest, because I like to keep it simple. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's what happens if they, if they go down the pan? Well, number one, rule number one when you're buying is always buy in an area that can be really light. So back to that affluent area. Yeah, okay, what is right, affluent yeah. area? An affluent area is when you look down the high street and there aren't many vacancies. If you see a ton of vacancies, then you, walk, you, you run a mile. Unless you've got a, a you know plan B, like a more of a commercial conversion development type thing, you know that that's it in a nutshell. So if you're in an area that can be really easy, you've not got too much to worry about, do you? I don't know how long do they sit empty for once someone's well, left. Well, this is what coming back to all ABCs always buy cash flow. I've got one property that I bought in 2016. It's still lying vacant. Um, and that's one of those urban alchemy ones where we're, we're buying, we're trying to, uh, you know, basically fill a box, get a, get a box, a property, get a brand and put the brand in the box, get a massive increase in value. We've done that a lot of times. This one's turning into a public-private partnership one, uh, and we're in discussions now and probably going to legals beginning in March. So it is going to go away and it's going to be okay, good. But, you know, whether that rented, you see when I look at a, an urban alchemy one. I look at that and I think, okay, if I'm going to buy this and I don't get any income for the first three to five years, is it going to make any difference to me at all? And if the answer is not, you know, it's not going to make any difference, I don't buy it. So that one didn't make any difference whether I bought it or not, but it's still, it's a time, it's an opportunity cost thing, mm. which is why I always go back when you're starting out, buy cash flow, um, you know, because day one you get a rent check as opposed to day, year, day, year and a half or something. But that empty box, you know, sometimes you have to beware, you know, be very wary of an empty box unless you have a very specific plan. You've done your DD, your analysis. You, have, you know, you have a plan for upstairs. Maybe it's a um, resi under PD. Maybe it's an office. Maybe it's a dentist, whatever that may be. Um, maybe it's serviced offices. Uh, and, and you've got to come back to the ground floor as well. What size is the ground floor? Are you buying a shop at 8,000 square feet? it's going to be hard to let and is it deep can the rear being converted into residential now this is urban alchemy it's not you're buying cash flow um is it front wide therefore it could be chunked into smaller shops that's more relevant today yeah so all these things are uh there's a lot more dd goes into uh doing that kind of thing which is chunking things up massive money to be made in it but a lot easier to go out and buy cash flow get to your monthly goal, you know, create personal alchemy and then go on to do maybe more sexy stuff. Right. So um, I would always say, always buy cash flow, you know, acquire value, boost value, and then compound value by using very creative uh, commercial property strategies with your, uh, you know, tax breaks like capital allowances, for example, uh, splitting up the asset from any potential operation. So you're, you know, using different vehicles, LLPs, limited companies in conjunction to create tax efficiencies. Uh, that's how you compound value by retaining more of your existing cash flow. 
Yeah. I stop paying it out in tax. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so that's an, another thing. But you know, day one, you just got to keep it really, really simple. You know, strategic simplicity is what it comes down to. Don't get carried away and think you're Bob the Builder and going to be the next bar, the next massive commercial conversion. If you don't, if you're not even in property to begin with, you know, just start with something simple. And a something simple could be like uh, Michelle for. Uh, you know, pray to four shops on the ground floor, nine uh, beds to HMO upstairs in a very niche market. Um, that she doesn't have to search for tenants because the government crime go searches for tenants all the time, vets them, secures them. Happy days. Or it could be um, like Derek, who uses SAS to buy that parade of shops out of administration. Really, really simple. It's buying for cash, it's going to accelerate and compound his SAS income going forward. And he's got a very specific strategy. So everybody's got their own strategy. One person needed cash flow. The other person wanted a five-year plan, you know, to create a, enough income in his SaaS so that when he retires, he, he has his same income that he has now, but his SaaS is still growing. Mm. Now, that's a different strategy. Another person, uh, Chris, who used his SaaS, and we bought a, an incredible double income stream on this property. Um, it's got Iceland on the bottom. Um, it's got an accountancy office upstairs. Uh, you know, we looked at eight deals before we decided on this one, so we never jumped into anything. And uh, and we, again, we found out what's happening with the tenants, what's their game plan, where are they going, are there any moats around the asset? So moats are something like akin to, um, you know, in the old days, you got a castle. What do you put around it? A moat and a drawbridge. Yeah. So we we look for moats around assets. So around this Iceland moat, and plus we look for plan A, B, and C. So around this asset the moat was the fact that um we did dd on the whole time there was nowhere else for iceland to go because of their square foot uh, requirement number two the only two car parks was in front of them and directly behind them you know another great moat you know mm -hmm. transport moat absolutely fantastic another one plan b was there was uh, behind them just at the car park was a national brand so we knew because this Iceland unit was very long, we could split it down the middle if Iceland ever left and create a shop at the back and two shops at the front, therefore increasing rent. Yeah. So there's always, always DD to go into things because what you want to do is this commercial property with me is all about hedging, playing safe, de-risking, de-leveraging. Yeah. And the increase in equity you get by re-gearing leases, um, for me, it's not about the extra equity, it's about the de-risking. Yeah, so you're safe to thrive through the next correction, wherever that may be, you know? I mean, who knows if it's coming or not coming, but, you know, they always come at some point, so <laughs> expect it. So, you know, using these strategies can uh, increase equity, therefore decrease gearing, yeah? And as long as you don't get into the hamster wheel of constantly re-gearing up all the time, mm. you know, you'll be fine, you'll be safe. But what's more important in commercial is the high yields. Now, the high yields is, are as a result of, you know, in resi, you've got repairs, uh, you've got maintenance, you've got agents fees uh, and whatnot. And in, um, in commercial, all those costs that the landlord, you know, takes on uh, are bundled together and passed back, you know, kicked back to the tenant under what's called an FRI lease, a full repairing insuring lease which basically means that the rent coming in in resi there's a gross and it's usually 70 percent is your net yeah in commercial your gross is your net mm. comes in stays in and the only difference the only thing you have going out is your cost of capital and because of the um the yields are so high the you know the the, the margin is so high in commercial the tenants pay down the debt because there's enough cash flow there so usually on any of my deals, I have a 15-year fully amortized, fully fixed product, uh, safest houses. It's fully fixed. It's paid down from whatever the debt is over 15 years to zero, which means, you know, at some point, because, you know, there's good debt and bad debt, as we all know, as Rich Dad, Robert Kiyosaki preaches, and, you know, what, what a guy that is to spread the word. But do we get into property, remember, income and freedom? Mm -hmm. There's good debt, there's bad debt, but best debt at some point is no debt. No debt. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and why not have, you know, fully amortizing loans? And that all that means is your debt gets repaid over the period. Yeah. 
and it's not paid by you, it's paid by your tenant. Couple that with the tax breaks of capital allowances, it's just an incredible opportunity right now, especially the, the kind of age we live in where the, you know, the baby boomers, if you imagine the biggest population part of the West, you know, ourselves, America, uh, Europe, are the baby boomers, people born between 1946 and 1964. Now, for the last 40 years, they've been massive asset acquirers, yeah? And in 2016, the first of them turned 70. By 2025, half of them will be 70. So they're gonna go from massive asset acquirers to massive asset disposers. And when everything comes on the market at once, what happens to the price? Mm, comes down. So we live in a, a time of great opportunity and some, some call it the, it's gonna be the biggest wealth transfer um, that's been in a generation, in a hundred years. Um, you know, so it's a great time to get into property as an asset class, uh, for sure. But if you're going to get into property, you know, it's a great idea to have a look at commercial and combine whatever you're doing with commercial and do those hybrid strategies, you know, and get involved in uh, instructional stacking and strategy stacking, where instead of only having one, um, one arrow to your bow, uh, you've got multiple ones mm. in multiple different ways, you know. So if you own the whole freehold of, say, a three-story building, um, instead of just you know, thinking about buying upstairs and trying to get somebody to take downstairs, then if you understand downstairs and upstairs and you can look at the whole thing in a more, um, and, you know, in a whole, um, plus that you then understand about uh, splitting grounds from properties, you know, and doing sale and leasebacks with the whole thing, um, you start to really accelerate values. You know, it's, um, yeah. it's, a, it's a great, I love it. It's absolutely fantastic. I can tell. <laughs> Very passionate about it. It's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, I, would, I would encourage everyone, if they, if they want to you know, get into commercial or any property asset class, to be honest, you really got to start with the foundations. Well, uh, tell us a bit more about you know, your training and how people can learn more about you. Um, well, we, uh, we did uh, you know, three months and six months mentorship programs um, that were perhaps more of a one-to-one -one kind of thing at the end of it, because I'm on the phone to everybody because I get drawn into the deals <laughs> all the time. Um, I'm my own worst enemy, you know, but uh, what we've done now is we've, um, we've put a program together for people to get into commercial on a lot more, you know, less of a barrier to entry in terms of a price point. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be available, like, you know, very, very soon this month. And uh, you, you just got to go to tailorcapital.co.uk. And uh, we help active investors or passive investors. The active investors, we help them by, we'll show you how, um, and we'll give you access to all of our contacts, all of our professionals. Uh, obviously, I've built up a black book of contacts over the, over the years, just about everybody, every high street brand in the UK. Um, because, you know, even though we don't want to day one go for empty boxes, even if you're buying cash flow, you want to be able to get in touch with whoever the high street brand is in that property. If it is a high street brand, they're, you know, property department. Um, so we, we've kind of done that. We've created something that's launching this month uh, on a lot more, um, you know, low cost basis. Uh, and we're also launching our club, the community, uh, which is going to be myself asking me questions live. It's going to be monthly uh, live calls, going over deals, real life deal analysis. We're going to be bringing on some of our professionals onto the team. And that, that's an incredible low price point. So you can get involved. The great thing is it's all virtual as well. So it's all about Zoom. It's all about, it's like what we're doing now, but there's a few more people on. <laughs> and, and we've really been pinged uh, PDFs of deals, uh, you know, five minutes before it starts. And I brought them up and we just go through it live. Um, and it, because it's what I love. It's, uh, deals like oxygen to me. You know, I, I don't know why. Maybe I was dropped as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> But I kind of I get a buzz out of it, you know, and I, I love it. So, um, so if you're starting out, you know, I would go and find somebody that has already been up the commercial property hill. There's not many in the UK that's actually teaching. And I'll tell you right now, you know, Ranjan Bhattacharya is fantastic. He's actually doing it and he's done it for years, 30 years like me. Uh, there's him. There's Gary Hall, who's a great guy as well. And he teaches now and again, not very often. Uh, and there's myself, and, and that's about it, to be honest. There's very, very few people in this space. Um, 
And I, I would say reach out to all of them and whatever they do and see, see what fits for, for you, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but really learn to find fundamentals. You know, go on our YouTube channel, uh, go on Ranjan Bhattacharya's YouTube channel uh, and learn from all what you see there. And, uh, and that'll give you the fundamentals, you know, a framework of whether you want to make a decision to learn more. If you do want to learn more, we have a, a free workshop on our you know, tailorcapital.co.uk. Go there, check it out, have a look. And if there is something, um, you know, there's a way we can work together more going, going forward. Uh, but it's not just me, it's myself. Ranjan Bhattacharya is awesome. Gary Hall is awesome. Um, you know, learn from, I, I still learn today. Mm. I've been on, you know, any, anybody that comes out in the commercial space, business buying space, I'm on their program. Mm. Always coming from a student point of view. And in commercial, it's such a creative space and everybody comes from their own journey. Like I've had a different journey than Gary Hall. Uh, we've both had different journeys from Ranjan. Um, you know, and that different journey means you'd have different thoughts, uh, outlooks on deals, a different creative process of how you would package a deal together. And uh, for, for me, learning from anyone uh, that is currently teaching, as long as they're doing it and they've done it before and they're still doing it, that's really relevant. Um, it's super important um, because you never know when they're going to stop. It could be any day, you know, and um, anyway, that, that's how I would get started. I would, I would soak in information and then pick somebody and learn in a little bit more intimate way. Yeah. Great. Well, we'll be putting your website and details into the show notes. So thank you very much for your time. That seems like a natural place to bring it to an end. And um, yeah, we look forward to having your article in the magazine very soon as well. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks very much for your time. You're welcome. This is Michelle Cairns, your host for the Property Podcast. And uh, we uh, will hopefully have you back on the show soon. Thanks very much. Speak soon. Take care. Bye. Bye.